Welcome back to SideQuest 19, Final Fantasy 7, Episode 7. And back with us is Mr. Wesley Chance. Welcome back, Mr. Wesley Chance. Hey, good to be back. Number 7, okay. I wasn't sure. That yeah, I know. I know, it's been a while. We've been uh, playing at a, a fairly leisurely play. We've been engaging in a leisurely, a leisurely activity at a leisurely pace. Gentlemanly, maybe. Yes. In, in fact, yeah. Well, so... um. And so this time around, I took some notes and I wanted to throw out sort of some quick bullet points, uh, some topics we might want to hit on, and then we can bounce off those uh, or, or go in a totally different direction, whatever we wanted to do. But I also wanted to give you some love for your uh, most recent finishing of Bookworm Games and your talk about sort of limitation and spatial uh, or how you have to limit something or stop it at some point to give it form. And Aristotle, in fact, says <laughs> you, you must you must define the limits of something in order for it to be an object. And so, I, so I, I was thinking a lot about that before we got on here. And it's, it's interesting when we talk about developing a corpus that something is taking shape, right? And yeah. now we've collaborated on something like 60, 70 episodes to, total, something like that uh, with, other, you know, with other hosts and alone. Uh -huh. And it, it's interesting to what extent you do define yourself in time by how you use time and that uh -huh. your corpus or body of work time starts to take form and that form is reflective of you and who you are and what your time is but that also it takes best and most definite form when you define the limits yourself when, huh. and i think that's sort of what dante was a master at and what you were hinting at and starting or stopping at 33 episodes that you hit on a symbolic meaning that is far more important, and Kant would agree with this in his critique of pure judgment, than is pure expression of subjective mm -hmm. experience. And so yeah. I feel like, yeah, go on, yeah. That that's I I haven't read that uh, that part of Kant's work, but I find it really interesting. Yeah, that that he and uh, and Aristotle are are two of the the ones who who are very to like tuned into the idea of um, of limitations of distance of of ob objectivity in art uh, as opposed to I think the sense that you get a lot of times from other writers and um, thinkers is that it is more about the expressiveness right and I like I like that you bring up Dante too because I think he's a master of kind of blending the two and and capturing his expressiveness the the particularity and the emotion within that that framework of of crystalline you know thought yes uh, which is just awesome and it, well, thanks it for that when you, when you tether yourself to a game it's sort of like nailing yourself to a cross you give yourself definite form and mm -hmm. when you give your expression a goal you give meaning to that expression and you actually burn away the unnecessary parts of it right like there's no reason why you should have a dumb serve in tennis like the best possible serve is the serve that gets you the fastest and most accurate serve mm -hmm. and so you move in a way that's totally pragmatic well there's no reason why there why every action in your life shouldn't be the exact same way and especially a major project and this seems to be our life's project we've been very explicit about this being our opus magnus you know our, yeah. our magnum opus rather uh for the latinus the magnum opus the great work and it's and it's interesting because, you know, the M.C. Escher piece of art where the 
artist's hand is drawing the other artist's hand and they're drawing each other all at once. I think oh, yeah. of the imagery, imagery of the father and the son, where as you create and create definite objects, you also see yourself in those objects. You see not only the idol or the object that you create, but you see yourself through your development of your art through your objects. And other people can see that. And that's far yeah. more valuable to them even than a physical development. Though I would say, like, say, bodybuilding sort of embodies that principle, right? You see somebody's transformation from sort of average to exceptional. And you can mm. see that not only physically, but also in one's articulations of information and their personal experiences as they refine their technique and they become more acute observers. And what they express becomes more and more valuable because it's more and more insightful um, because, because it's more and more practiced. Yeah. Um, oh, I like that. And I like, well, the serve, right? Like you've got the power and the placement, but you have also got the spin, you know? So yes. there's always that, that spin that you got to worry about too. Yeah. I like that a lot. That's a good analogy. To, to it is about. interesting. That is very human that, you know, there's that element of fraud in the serve. Like you don't know which way they're going. And then also you get nasty spins. That's right. <laughs> Make them all do incredible things that other humans are good at adjusting to incredibly. Um, mm -hmm. We are amazing cre creatures, but so, 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 some of these bullet points, there's a dream in black and white and dialogue suggesting that maybe Cloud doesn't know who he is. There's then a hero and maiden myth, a Cloud saving Priscilla from a dragon. And I wondered yes. if that foreshadowed Cloud saving, say, Tifa in the past, which is suggested by the dream. Um, we also get the mm -hmm. Shiva materia then, and I actually got that, but you're required to get that. So no, no kudos there. You don't, you don't get a pat on the back for the job you're supposed to do. So uh, uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Ooh, I should talk about the negative one. No, we see the airship. Wow, what a scene. Um, the high wind, incredible, very much majestic. We see a Shinra room, and then, oh, my gosh, Cloud puts on the uniform, and then that he's worn a uniform like that before. I was so proud when I first put it on, and then I can't remember when I couldn't stand it anymore. Why would he be wearing a uniform like that? Though later, when you're uh. near the make a reactor there is a guy who's studying for a soldier who is in a shinra uniform so maybe we we can let him get away with that but i don't know very telling yeah. then we see the port the port and uh the giant gun scene wow yeah there so you know the the aspect of the father shooting out into the great unknown and in fact has already shot sephiroth apparently though i think i'll see him on the ship soon i didn't quite get to where you did so we're we're exchanging oh, okay we're exchanging uh rates of play here um that we also okay. have this new age of shinra with this sort of nazi red banner theme mm -hmm. with rufus on it and these shows of authoritarian might and parades and this like sort of uh straussian waltzes going on um, <laughs> yeah and we see the poverty around so it's sort of like soviet and east germany all at the same time we see a place respectable mm -hmm. in which is interesting because I, you get called okay mr know-it-all Soldier, let me revenge. I mean, review. I whoa. I mean, what is going on there? Talk of a thing called extreme limits. I'd never heard of that before. Uh, and then you sort of see a clone of you and one thirty-fifth soldier. You get that. Sorry, these are the last notes. Yeah, and uh, okay. then you find out that Hojo resigned. All right, good. So yeah, I know. That All right, yeah, so we got some on the board. <laughs> I remember also just to put a a first um, uh, swerve into this conversation. Yeah. We, we last time talked a little bit about yes, summons. Yes, actually, I wanted to get right there. Yeah, so let's pick up from that 
that point where we left off. So we had we had a lot of talk last time about chocobos and serpents and dragons right, and whatnot. Right. And so, so this time you arrive at Junon and you get you get thrown into a uh, a boss battle, which kind of, in a way, like makes up for the fact that there was no boss battle back in. Uh, you know, you escaped the Midgar Zol ah. and you battle against the Turks. They just sort of talk to you and then leave. So, so I found that kind of interesting how it um, it it, it formed the uh, sort of the supplied the missing boss battle that you'd been expecting for a while now. Yeah, um, that's very and interesting. It's, it comes out of the blue. Yeah. Okay. But so, and then this fight against the the sea monster, um, it's a long range battle, right? So you you don't get to um, you don't get to use physical attacks too much, uh, unless your character's got, you know, um, a long range weapon or you've got the materia equipped. Uh, so it's it is like um, a bit dreamlike in that way. I thought. Yeah. Uh, it's sort of like sunset and this like sort of un out of no out of nowhere sort of thing that happens um and suddenly you're fighting this monster right and it is pretty hard fight actually it's not like uh it's not guaranteed that you're you're necessarily going to win that one first try um but if you sort of have prepared you got some materia equipped then uh you sort of feel pretty awesome when you do win because then you've you know yeah you've you've fulfilled this hero thing you've you've saved the you've saved the helpless innocent uh from the dragon and and you know you're rewarded, um, as you say, with a with a sweet new summon spell. If, especially if you missed Chocobo, then this might be your first one. Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, and I completely agree with that interpretation. That's exactly how I wrote in my notes as well. You are now just like we talked about last time with uh, hints of a the rebirth of the hero and Cloud forming uh-huh. that role and providing the world saving function as wielder and embodier of Logos is now actually playing like sort of the small time, like traditional, like RPG town hero role, right? He like shows up into town immediately, makes a major impact. What he does is he saves a girl who's all of a sudden, and this seems to be the theme of the town mystery and perhaps, you know, the, the theme of the fall in small and large manifestations. She's hanging out with her dolphin friend and then boom, things change from known to unknown territory. Immediately the threat shows up. It's a sea serpent who knows what that, actually as but symbolically speaking that means a hero needs to show up in order to sort of set the situation right and that's precisely what mm-hmm. you and your team do you act out the myth of the hero and like you said you get priscilla she then comes and she helps you she gives you a way um into uh she she provides herself as a step on the process to the next uh goal which is part of your superordinate goal i had something interesting about that that it sort of goes to the um, the political stuff going up on upstairs in upper in the main Junon town. It's the uh, the whistle, right? Because mm. uh, because she gives you the whistle to um to some to have the dolphin, you know, help you jump up real high. Yes. Uh, but but up there, when you're changed into the soldier outfit and you're in your disguise, it's the um it's the little lieutenant guy who's blowing the whistle to tell you when to um you know march and do all your different. Uh, things with the gun so you've sort of become the dolphin you see what i'm saying it's like you you respond respond to the whistle uh a little pavlovian uh of course you're free to not do it right but you get rewarded if you do it well which i found really interesting um so that's just like a little little weird thing i don't know what to make of that parallelism there 
but I noticed it this time through. Never had before. That is interesting. I'm it, that. I mean, that's very information rich. It's so information rich that it's sort of oblique to me right now. It's sort of uh, sort of. I mean, it could be over reading. You know, it's like he has a whistle because he's you know keeping everyone in time, and that's how you do it when it's loud and there's you know the cheering crowds and uh, the soldiers are trained to to respond to it. But but it's I just found it sort of funny that. This one, chi- the only child down there in Lower Junon, or the Undertown, has has got the same thing that the uh, that the leader of the marching soldiers has got. Yeah. Well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I could do a couple things with that. A. It seems like we are highly imitative as a species, and we like to imitate and look at high status creatures uh, more than low that mm. or high status humans more than low status humans. Just like macaws prefer to look at high status macaws and rather than low status because and, and you know look at every celebrity magazine like is that you know who are the people in there are they millionaires that you're looking at yes almost certainly you won't you care about what they do uh without even perhaps knowing why um like if somebody were to say something interesting about brad pitt to me even if i thought myself like sort of above that sort of thing i'd still sort of be naturally interested frankly speaking and uh, people can say yeah. they wouldn't feel that way, but I, you know, I highly doubt that. I think they're simply being contrarian um, because it would have such a major cultural impact because that person is so high status, right? Um, and you know, that's I think part of the Trump phenomenon as well. Um, people can't oh, help sure. but watch him because regardless of whether they're revolted by him, he is tremendously high status, um, and you know, just even from like an economic point of view, which is you know I think a major point of view. Um, yeah. but, and yeah. not a condoning of anything, simply an observation that is perhaps, uh, you know, relieving to some people for why they can't escape, uh, being so passionately interested in this sort of thing. I think it's particularly afflicted our generation, yeah. uh, with our access to social oh, media. Oh yeah, with social media, man. It's, it's, yeah. And that's funny too, cause he takes, who is it? Barrett or somebody takes the PHS from yes. you before in the water and so you're 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 taken away from the rest of the party you are and you can't communicate with them you're you're on your own um climbing up there from so yeah i just found that i found that so strange and then when you first when you get up there you're sort of thrown into a new a new bunch of people all of a sudden yeah um, yeah what about that how authoritarian it was and you were joining up and it's so it's like a major regression or uh an imitation it, like, is it like sort of the path of the hero that you've just had this major victory followed by a major regression? You're you try and fit back into a role you've expanded out from already, mm-hmm. um, and and you just sort of take it for this low reward, which is the HP plus materia, or that's what I got. You may have played the role better, but I played it pretty well this time, which I thought was some growth on my part. That in the mini games, I didn't just get fed up and do whatever, but and or you know not play it as well as i could because i felt like i didn't need to this time i tried to get as high a rating as i could and i think that's a better way of playing because that is the game and that is life and i am playing the game of life as i play the game um it's it seems to be sort of like the uh the game taunting you as well right like will you lower yourself to to play these little uh, mini games yes like the one 35th soldiers that you find right like you're you're miniaturized here you're just one of the um the stormtroopers uh soldier again and so 
And so you find these things scattered around, but in finding those, you also find the mind source, the speed source, the power source. So it's like by exploring this kind of mini game area that, you know, there's this kind of regression to what cloud was, or, um, you know, has sort of blocked from his memory that he was or, or mm -hmm. something. You, you, you also find the, the seeds of, of incredible strength, right? Like he's the only one in your party. So most likely you're going to use those things on him. He's the one you're, you're going to have in your party the most often. So he, he's the natural person to give those things to. Yeah. And perhaps it's not so much a regression as a humbling that he's acted the hero um, once, but he's not yet capable of embodying the form of hero or like, which I guess you could take super saiyan to be a correlate for um, <laughs> that he can only do it for a very short amount of time. And very quickly, he, like one of us, could be knocked back out of the archetype of the hero back into like mundane, normal life, identifying with sort of the herd, like sort of one of the voiceless many. Um, and so it, it's as if, it's as if uh, it's the game sort of reminding you and I, so because I parallel this with the fact that Sephiroth's legend is just getting bigger and bigger, you find out that he's killed yeah. a few people at Junon and that there's a man with a black cape and he like his legend is very much alive. And that seems to be what that's a metaphor for Sephiroth, even though probably dead, his legend is so alive. It kills people. Incredible. Like that's a, that is a living legend. And uh, you're, right. you're just a little, and you're, you're just reduced to a nothing again in his wake and it's great and so it's it that is so so appropriate too like i would say even for say our task right like we are those yeah. clouds who are reduced in our everyday life back to nobodies while these people like kant and plato and aristotle stand as idols like gods ah, above us ah. but they are like gods in that they are ultimate objects of desire because we wish mm -hmm. to embody the same principles as them, but in a more, but in an even more relevant and sharper and pragmatic way, we wish to improve on them. You don't aim for Dante. You aim past Dante towards the ideal that he got close to, but you got a Robin hood uh -huh. that and hit the arrow even straighter. <laughs> That's cool. Cause so this, this brings us back to the summons, right? So this Shiva or Shiva summon is a God, Yes, you know, um, and it's Priscilla's pendant that she gives you. So for some reason, this little girl, apparently the only child in the town left or, or whatever, has got this um, this powerful materia, which summons um, a, an ice queen, you know, who, who strews um, diamond dust across the battlefield and, and hits all enemies for for heavy ice damage. It's it's really cool because you literally sort of embody that goddess during the summon and you can only use it once at first, but if you build up its power, right, it gains power through its embodiment in you over time. And the more that you build it up, the more that you can use it, the stronger that it gets, um, the more that it sort of recovers its um, ideal nature or something until, you, until like Sephiroth's materia, it's mastered right. and it produces a, uh, a baby materia, which is a great... We don't know about that yet, of course. We haven't yeah. got that far. But, but, but that's um, incredible because that seems to be what the process of building consciousness is and ultimate capacity or skill or mastery in an endeavor. Because the first bit of consciousness is you go from sort of patches of consciousness, patches of ability to sequence time and reality and the narrative structure of your environment around you into a consistent narrative. 
And it seems to be that uh-huh. what sort of the rest of your life is, is sort of interweaving or, and observing the largest possible stories that are going on and that have been going on throughout all history and that you happen to be an active participant in, in this particular moment. Um, and so, uh, sorry, I'm losing my track right here. I, I'm interested in two of your ideas. The one that um, as you are making, or so, so when you master the materia, you create a baby materia, but um, you, you said you, you embody the God and you can embody the yeah. God once, and then you can embody God, the God more times. Well, I saw this, and tell me if you think this is there's anything to this. I potentially saw the Shiva summon as the ability, like a Patronus, to summon a memory of yourself acting heroically, because that's something that uh, Cloud shares with her, and what that pendant symbolizes. An act of heroism, and thus like a favor from her to a knight for his great yeah. deed. And because of that great deed, because we iterate the patterns we, we start, he can potentially summon it and do another great deed uh, with that yeah, as yeah, motivation. Yeah. And then start to, as, just as you master the materia by being able to summon it more into the same battle, you become more capable right. of summoning into yourself the capacity to act heroically in a situation. And until yeah. it's mastered and you can use it, as much as you want because it is now second nature or part of your conscious arsenal, a real, an actual tool. Yeah. 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 I think it's really interesting to think about the materia metaphorically like that. Cause then it's, it's not just the summons, right? So it's sort of different. Each one is a little bit different how it grows. The summons grow in that you, you can summon them more times and the, uh, the, the regular old magic materia, the green ones, grow in power they, they become stronger spells right. the blue one, the all materia you can use the thing all uh, on all foes or all friends more than once so it's a, like a summon in that way um and so in each in each case there's there's something that's particular to the materia itself but there's also something that is how it sort of manifests how you how you embody it or or manifest it and and each one also yeah, re- refers to a specific point in the game at which you you acquired that materia, and some of them are like significant to the plot. Like, uh, oh, sorry, the cat just jumped on me. Or, or like Shiva, you know, she she represents a unique plot moment and a unique relationship uh, with you and the girl and the dolphin. But others, um, and, and chocobos like that too, right? You you play wark dances with the chocobos and you get you get the. But but others are sort of just um, you you sort of you can buy them at the store, you know, so there it's, it runs the gamut and, and it's, it's very interesting how it's, it's up to the player to what extent, if at all, you want to sort of like interpret that and think about what's actually going on. Um, but it certainly, it certainly invites it, you know, especially with, with Shiva here and, and you get Ifrit at the end of the, uh, the cargo ship. So it's sort of the counterpart. Um, but we can talk about that next time if you haven't quite got there yet. yeah and I, yeah. isn't it actually the image of sephiroth and you've seen him for the first time who throws that at you it's it's dropped yeah by his um emerging from the floor of the cargo sh- oh it's it's terrifying <laughs> it's awesome uh, but but you you mentioned uh you got the hp plus materia so i wanted to go back to back to the um the ratings game thing that's going on yeah. there right so so Apparently, if you get if you get lower than a certain threshold, you get like some items maybe, 
if you get between a couple thresholds, you get the HP plus. I, I looked it up after okay. um, playing through. Yeah, but if you get above a certain threshold, you get a um, a weapon for cloud. Oh, you get a sword cool. uh, that has double uh, material. Oh, growth. that's incredible! I've I, I yeah, I think I've got that, that cool? if you do. If I'm I'm sure you you've got that nailed, but I I see that very clearly now. I like that, right? So it's like the the progression seems to be right, like item which you use and then it's gone then materia which grows with you of course but then the thing which grows the materia is the greatest right the, the sword the yes. logos seems to be the thing but you get this as a gift for proper propagandistic um um behavior which again brings me back to the whistle it's like what is going on i think it, so that's the part i'd like to talk yeah. through a little more so yeah I, it's, go with that. it strikes me at least on the positive end of it like what peterson talks about where you have to uh like what Nietzsche talks about with Roman Catholicism, you have to tether yourself to an endeavor very, very hard in order to train yourself so that you can gain access to the free expression of logos. And that's sort of what Dante is expressing uh, the act of the purgatorial mountain is. You sort of purge yourself of these bad habits of thought. You learn the great stories and the meaning of them. And then boom, your will is freed because you no longer even have a desire to pursue the low passions because you now understand the fundamental heroic story of man. And you're going to pursue that because that's, that's the way to heaven, essentially the exploration of unknown territory for all time. Um, but um, in, in this case, what's so interesting is that you play your role, your definite role in society, your sort of nameless role. And if you play it really, really well, poof, the logos appears in you. It's sort of like if you, if you, devote yourself very, very diligently to your training, poof, all of a sudden you have all these tools available to you and then yeah. boom, you develop higher consciousness because you now literally have a, or actually having a new game because of all these tools that you have access to, you can now, you can now do things within the game of uh, Final Fantasy VII or life that you would not otherwise uh, have been able to do. You would not have generated the connections to generate the consciousness necessary to wield these tools without first having the tools developed in yourself. And you can't know that before it's, it happens, right? Like yeah. uh, a, a gymnast only knows they can like say win a gold medal after they do an incredible floor routine, which at some point they started with just being able to do a flip. And even before then, just like a desire to want to be able to do a flip at some point. And it's like, look how far they come exponentially, um, which I think is also part of the growth potential of that sword. So I've, I've just finished the Ray Kurzweil's how to create a mind. And he says something interesting because our brain is built on like several, several hundred million pattern receptors. There's massive redundancy and it's built to perceive linear progression. So one, two, three basic lists, but what it's not built to see, which is how many things work in the world, like size of anthills, um, uh, distribution of, uh, wealth, um, distribution of, um, or, or of size of star and size of tree is uh, exponential growth. Many things in the world work exponentially. And I think it's the same way with when you tether yourself to a particular role and you learn a certain uh, amount of skills, you then have to generate the requisite amount of consciousness to deal with those skills. So as you build the skills, you build higher consciousness, even though it's like an act of enslavement as you build 
those skills through rope practice largely. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's interesting. It's like the, the master the, the leap from the linear. I was just yeah. going to say like the numer the numerical thing again, though, just like the, the leap from the, the linear growth, which is plotting, which is methodical and discipline heavy mm -hmm. and not all that fun to the to the exponential to even recognize that there is exponential as a possibility and how how that's like the the explosion of, of freedom like you say at the at the end of the, the mount purgatory or something like that right like that that's somehow um emerges from a uh, a, a a dedication a devotion to the to the practice um and the steady incremental growth yeah i like I like thinking about that a lot. So the master slave thing. Well, so you've got um, <laughs> you've got Heidegger also yes. in the, running yes. trying to people for for his own messing up, right? And and being um, publicly shamed by Rufus in front of the soldiers. So he then proceeds to try to attack the the slaves, right? Why is his name Heidegger? Like, what's going on with that? Well, it's, I, it's it's interesting. And so I was mostly referring to master and slave just because of you enslave yourself to a skill in order to master it and then be free to mm. use the skill. And so there, and that does seem to be sort of the story of like all Japanese animes for made for young yeah. men. I forget there's a, there's a name for it and maybe a listener can help us with that. But the ones like bleach and like dragon ball Z were like, they're very training heavy and then you develop skills and then you use them in a competition. And then the game continues to develop and you have to develop new skills and then there's new level of competition, which produces a new level of growth in you, which is a metaphor for consciousness, which is why they can fly and become blonde because they become enlightened <laughs> beings, right? Uh, though also they become- More giant gorillas. But also they grow tails, so they're like embodied. So they're like fully embodied too. They recognize their sort of uh, full humanity, you might say, like they're, uh, mm -hmm. they're, and they can harness their violent nature in the service of, um, the greatest ideals and that that actually yeah. i think should be the goal of all <laughs> education just because i'm reading this book the coddling of the american mind which i know you're reading now and there was just a jordan peterson oh, yeah. uh video that came out about that where the 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 authors actually and i mean you would expect them to say this but they said that you should give a copy of this book to every teacher and administrator in yeah, k-12 that you know and i agree because it's data-driven it's yeah. I haven't I haven't actually read the book. I know, I know that they just talked on the the podcast, and so they're they're definitely gonna get a lot more um, traction. I think, uh, and it and it clearly is referring back to uh, is Alan Bloom. I think who wrote the, uh, the closing of the American yes. Mind, right? Like two, like twenty thirty years ago now. But yeah, and I haven't read that either. But. I, I know about it. So I sort of know about what you're saying, but I want to, all right, well, we can talk about that sometime, but <laughs> I want to look at um, uh, this character, Heidegger. Yes, sorry. And, yeah. and you mentioned earlier, well, you mentioned earlier that it's like a, it, there's a kind of um, fascist or Nazi thing going on here. And I wonder if, I wonder how particular the choice of this name was for this character. Cause yeah. he's, you know, he, he follows the, um, he, he falls into line, he follows the uh, master uh, when he's around, but as soon as Rufus leaves, then Heidegger turns around and tries to take out his, his frustration on those who are below him in the, in the pecking order. 
Um, I, I've never, I haven't read much Heidegger. I know that he's controversial because of his historical, uh, like his actual beliefs and practices outside of his writing. But I know that his writing is very like highly regarded in philosophic circles and it's considered pretty like dense and important and serious. So I don't know. Do you have thoughts yeah, about well, it, why this character is Heidegger within the yeah, game? Yeah, I think it's pretty interesting because he he works he definitely works for the man and the new sort of Hitler figure, Rufus, and Heidegger mm. had historical associations, not speculative, with the Nazis. And many people believe that put a blight on his thinking. Because of course that that mm. Because of his group identity, that would, of course, affect what he would uh, think is the idea. And uh, we sort of let that sort of racist slide get away with it because we find the Germans, the German Nazis at that time so opprobrious with their behavior. Um, but the thing about uh, him that's so interesting is that he's very famous for saying that language is the house of being, but also that um, language is the limit of your being. And so mm. the fact that he, as part of an authoritarian state, rather than serving the logos, but rather serving a, a person trying to embody a particular aspect of the logos in this, in this uh, uh, sort of particular circumstance, the negative father, Rufus, yeah. uh, tyrant. the tyrant, right? Exactly. He, he has limited his range of expression. He cannot simply speak the truth. He has to become propagandistic because the truth... Mm is not his master rufus is his master and so in order to serve the ends of rufus he does not serve the true ends of language and thus is no true philosopher and so if that's unconsciously done that's a major dig on heidegger if that's consciously done that's a major dig on heidegger um <laughs> <laughs> he's taunted by rufus for his for his life. And I thought that was great. Which, that restriction, even on his expression, his most fundamental expression, bang. Sorry, go on. No, and it's it's heartbreaking. You know, it gives me a great sort of feeling of pathos for the character, though, because a laugh is something which a person doesn't really control, you know. Right. It, it's, that's somehow like, like the way that Dante would say, you know, you look into someone's eyes and you see their soul. In the same way, the laugh is kind of re revealing of the person's soul. And something that is, is so spontaneous and and unguarded and they're vulnerable in that moment. And that's the thing that Rufus calls him on there. And so in a way, it's it's understandable that, that the Heidegger character would turn and try to beat up on the soldiers who overheard that that shameful exchange, right? But but then again, he's not being much of a leader himself in in letting that sort of get to him and 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 taking it out on his underlings that way. So he He's a he's a bizarre character. Some of the characters in this game are just really really weird. I don't know. They, <laughs> they are. Yeah, ha ha ha. He goes. What? Yeah, 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 ha, ha. yeah. And it's great. It's good. It's a great evil laugh, but it's also just like, well, so he's another one of these characters that you don't get a crack at yet either, right? Mm. You don't you don't fight him as a boss here. He's just sort of there and being you know nefarious and and troublesome and problematic, but um you don't get to attack rufus you don't get a second shot at him yet either you have to sort of endure his gaze and he'll he'll reward you for doing the simon says game really well right you you get you get one of those prizes um that we talked about so so i find that really it's like it's irking you know in the game you're sort of stuck playing the game 
between save points, like you, you've mentioned before. Yes. It's, it's got this kind of hold on you where you, you find yourself sometimes rushing through because, because you can't just <laughs> like uh, you can't just endure that, you know? Um, and, and I find, yeah, the, um, the Turks um, sort of represent that to an extent as well. You find them in the bar in Juno. Yes. If you go exploring, yes. they're down, they're down like, you know, having some serious uh, uh, drink fests going on. And, um, and they're also, like you said, those ghosts down there um, under one of the stores where you can, you can talk to the people back from the, uh, the training um, building back in uh, sector seven, which, you know, so they're somehow they've, they've washed up there to talk to you because, because you didn't tell them everything you knew, right? They, they, they can't return to the planet. They say um, it's fascinating how uh, the, the, the little sort of jokes and like little, uh, what are they called? Um, when an actor pops up, you know, uh, what's it called? Yeah, the, the name for that escapes me right now. But the, those little moments where, where it brings that thing back, yeah. which, um, which, had, which had had its role earlier on, and it sort of haunts you in that way. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you actually listen to some of those? I didn't, I didn't go through and, and redo any of the old ones, and I didn't do many of the new ones either where Cloud can impart his knowledge to the ghosts. Did you spend some time with those? No, I just kind of went down there and found it rather odd. And I, I thought it was cool seeing the Turks gambling and then, uh, uh -huh. you know, seeing how people sort of like try and cheat the system in a totalitarian system. How do they go do that? How, spend their late leisure time because you even get reprimanded sort of putzing about yourself by a couple of fellow soldiers who say they, they don't have room to talk. Um, and so... They say uh, the the ghosts say to you, "Okay, Mister Know It All, soldier," which mm -hmm. is already sort of a reference back to that dream you have at the beginning of this this uh, chapter of playing that we did, that sort of questions your identity and it says, "Well, you know, did you see Tifa a different time from when she was a guide?" And do you remember? And Cloud's like, "No, I can't really remember." And he's like, "Well, then why don't you uh, ask her?" And wake up yeah yeah and it's like those moments that you're that, mentioning are like the apostrophe and dante that are like wake up make sure you pay attention here this is yeah. important the the uh i think that the there's an enemy skill materia down there too right so it's like you are rewarded for exploring as always yes um even if you don't necessarily listen to every word they say but the more that you do listen to the words they say the more the more interesting and sort of like um enthralling right the the feel you know they're ghosts they're not really scary though the way that that voice in your own head is kind of scary it's it's yeah. it's eerie that music that off it, key dun, 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 dun. it's eerie yeah yeah that uncanniness of 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 the thing which is familiar and strange uh, which I think video games, these video games are so potent uh, a carrier for because you're there in the comfort of your living room, you know, playing this game, which is nostalgic. You've played it for years. And yet there's always some element of mystery even there, right? The unknown pops up like in the strangest uh, circumstances. Um, and, and that's sort yes, of- Yes, and- in your, in, your, in your safe, in your home, you're still open to- 
to the um, the creative and the formless, which you can give form. Well, it yeah. certainly affects you affectively. And if anybody were really thinking, then they would understand that this is a great vessel for social change because the more mm -hmm. emotional reactions you have to an object, the more feelings and thus consciousness and memory or the more consciousness you thus Ha develop through your conscious suffering of affect in the presence of this thing, which then create associations within you forever with the lessons learned with that thing, right? Like you're getting upset while you play the game. You're getting annoyed. You're making real connections to it, like how you make real connections to say your teammates and the shared endeavor because of your shared emotion when you're playing with mm -hmm. them. And so the, a question I have, I'm, I'm sort of getting to the big question part of the night. Um, okay. and I, I do want to make a, a proposition to you, uh, a little bit later, which I think it'll be a fun, a sort of fun one. And, um, we can see which way we want to go with it, but, um, okay. but I wonder to what extent using this shared technology of video game development means that the East and the West are for the first time sharing the same artistic form in a sort of a mass produced way so that all the world can consume the exact same product in the exact same medium and thus a sort of melding of mythology or a development into a, a new synthesized and sort of, I don't know, world level culture mythology might already be happening to some extent because of the massive use and consumption. Like, I mean, I just think about like in the eighties, the, the, the giant robot motif that was coming across in like cartoons like mechs and Transformers and uh, Gundam, of course. And that power seems to be Rangers. like power engine. That seems to be like the coming together into super states, right? Of super nations, mm -hmm. uh, this technological advancement that connects us in a new way that makes us like capable of defeating any anomaly that comes up that we wouldn't otherwise have been able to defeat as a separated uh, entity. And so right. it makes me think that we're currently observing the process of the development of, say, you might say the new gods or the new idols of culture or the new prevailing mythos because people never see what's happening while it's happening, right? And so, yeah. like, we do go to these movies with these giant flashing screens with these motifs of heroes on them. And we pay money, we're motivated to do it. It's considered like a good Friday night. Uh, mm -hmm. after, you know, the ages of like 18 to 30. Um, <laughs> but, um, it's, yeah. It's something that, yeah, I mean, uh, it's been, it's been, I think a long time in the making, um, right. The, the connections between East and West and the shared mythologies and, and religions for that matter. Right. Um, and then I think, as you say, that, this is different in that it's a, it's a new technology which is being developed um, sort of cooperatively and um, marketed globally. And it's, it's a medium which is developing uh, not in one place or the other, but across both and bridging both. Uh, and, and I think that kind of, the kind of discussion you can have about it is not limited by, but... Um, enriched by a knowledge of those underlying mythologies of the of the different regions uh and i right. think that that's the sort of the new thing the new thing that's that's coming about now is like recognizing and taking seriously that trans 
transcendent uh, sort of uh, touching of of deep wells of myth, which is manifested in these games. Uh, that that seems yeah really really new and exciting to me. Yeah, that seems like the epic that we will have to write. We'll have to. I think it's almost as if Neil's Neil Gaiman's American Gods is sort of a failed attempt at manifesting the new mm-hmm. epic, the epic that includes all the the bodies of literature, all the great traditions, all the great gods of the past, and this. But also, the key point is that it states the new gods, the coming of the great mm-hmm. new ones, the new age, and that this person is the Messiah of the new age, the prophet of the new age, the steward of Gondor, as it were. Uh, Aragorn come home with the message, Moses, you know, the person who comes back from the unknown with the message, what the message is, is who you people are. Bang, those are where the new gods come from. And instead of looking down on them and saying like, we're the French fry gods and like the internet dweeb gods, like <laughs> sort of like Neil Gaiman does, like maybe showing the fact that, you know, we are, we are the generation that will overcome world hunger, right? We are the generation that, you know, will cure many, will go to Mars, right? Will, you know, we are by several metrics in America right now, the greatest people that have ever existed economically in terms of sanitation. I mean, this is a point that Pinker makes, that Height makes, that uh, uh, the guy he, he writes with, whose name I shouldn't forget, Lukianoff uh, makes, um, that Ray Kurzweil makes our advances in technology. I mean, what uh, Kurzweil says is we have in our pockets now cell phones that are, and this is again because of a bridging of East and West technology, right? And of uh, competing and cooperating at the same time um, is mm-hmm. we have computers in our pockets, cell phones, they're seven, several million times cheaper and something like several thousand times more powerful than the best computer at MIT when Kurzweil was a student there. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. that's that exponential growth. It comes from cooperation yes, yes. Of, with the logos. That's what people forget, mm-hmm. that the U.S., after we defeated Germany and Japan, even though we levied heavy taxes on them, we gave them loans. We helped them rebuild. Mm-hmm. And look how well that's worked out. Look at what they make for us. Look at how many German automobiles we have and how many scientists of German descent we have, you know, creating vaccines for us and things like that. Look at how well the Japanese are doing and how many of us have, say, Japanese cars and Japanese, uh, so how many of us play things like, you know, how, how many of us have Sony sound systems um, mm-hmm. or Samsung phones or it's, it's incredible. And so what's happened is that in enriching the people around us, even former enemies, we enrich ourselves. You, by giving the people around you a superordinate goal towards which to work, you create a team that is then motivated to help you be successful while also making themselves successful. It is a, it seems like a super uh, equilibrated state, right? That seems to be the, the notion we're going towards. The new sort of, sort of constituency, you know, uh, what if instead of just always fighting each other and antagonizing each other, we as a like world level people still with our regional differences, because that I think makes the world interesting. I can give a more sophisticated reason for that later, just because I think the more manifestations of being there are, 
the more you understand being. And so that that's useful for cultural diversity. But um, that um, if like say all the nations in the world directed all their resources towards shared projects, like, I don't know, right. even something like super pyramids or whatever it, it could be. Um, uh, we could devote an episode to that, you know, that we would have much less war and sort of anxiety and hate because we would all have meaning and we would be fighting to come to like sort of contribute the most possible. And I think that's what the Olympics is sort of a lower level abstraction of. We do want to win all those golds. Right. Um, but I think, I think that's where we're trying to get to. I think that's the right way rather than saying like, we hate ourselves as Americans and for these privileges we have, because, and I think part of why we hate ourselves and have this anxiety is, it's an anxiety of being forgotten because we have no great deed that we're sharing in. And it's like, well, no, we're actually doing a lot of great things right now. And maybe we should be a little more conscious of that. That would actually improve our lives if we took more responsibility for the fact that we, we have, you know, the most luxurious and incredible lives of any humans that have ever existed. Yeah, it's, well, it's a different kind of perspective entirely from that, which is, uh, I guess, popularized or um, Pan- promoted yeah. or whatever. Pandered you know. in the newspapers. That's probably, that's probably a word for it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it's like, uh, but again, I think what you're describing is just a really, I think it's a really exciting um, perspective to take and one which, yeah, uh, makes you feel like you're en route to doing something real and, and lasting, which I think it's like to, to look at the game again, it's, it's the difference right between a, a Rufus um, who, who has the propaganda and, um, and a, an actual creative force like, uh, like the double materia sword or, or something like that. Right. Like uh, we, we sort of skipped over it, but you can also, you can also meet um, Yuffie, the another a secret character Uh, my great shame that was something that i guess i wasn't trying to bring up but as much as you were like get yuffie get yuffie i i refused to look at a strategy guide because my overly rigid uh method of playing this game at this moment and i went into a forest and i fought several battles something like five of them which was a lot for me and she didn't appear and i had seemed to recall even though i wasn't sure so i thought i should text you but i didn't um I forgot which forest it was that she was in. And I think I remember that she would show up and steal all your materia. And then you have to like go to Wutai, right? And this is, this is later. Yeah. No, the first time, the first time that you meet her, I think it's just in any forest there. It's sort of a random encounter. Um, but she, she's a great, she's a great like image of this, this East and West thing, ah. right? It's like she appears sort of mysteriously and you can say certain things which will make her leave again, but you can also say certain things which will make her stay and, and be intrigued and want to join your party. Um, and yes, later she will steal all your material, but that doesn't happen yet. You're, you're, you're okay for now. Uh, what, do you remember the gist kind of, of some of the things that she says? Because I, now I remember it as sort of a romance. I mean, so frustrated by that when I was younger and playing through it. And uh-huh. like, it was sort of like actually talking to a girl when you're like a young man and like, <laughs> You're, you have all these grandiose expectations like, oh my gosh, what if she says yes and I'm going to be the hero. Like I'll save her from all yeah. the dangers. I'll be St. George to the dragons around her. I'm, I'll be so great. And you can't even get past like, hey, 
hey, because, you know, Medusa <laughs> is present, right? The great unknown and the great force of selection is like, ew, you're gross. And you're like, you know, your status <laughs> way declined. And so it, it's like with Yuffie too, it's like you, you make that first misstep and everything falls apart. And you're like, man, now I got to go through all this work again and get prepared yep, again yep. and uh, make a change well, as well. There's several fatal things that you can, yeah. So if you, if you come on too strong, she'll definitely go away. And if you, um, so you first initially have to seem kind of standoffish. Um, but if you're too standoffish, if you're too rude, then she'll go away. So you gotta, you gotta then re reel it back in at a certain point and express some interest in, in this person. Um, you can't ask her her name. That's the last uh, sort of like temptation. Ah. If you ask her her name, you won't, she won't join the party again. You, you've messed up, but you're close. And so if you find her again and you do all the steps and then fix that last step, then, then you, you do get to input a name and she will follow uh, and be part of your, your group. And she, um, she also has a save point there. And if you try to use the save point, she'll get away. <laughs> so that's like the first, that's the first temptation. Uh, yeah, she's, she's really uh, an awesome character because a lot of her, her weapons are, are long range. And again, on the cargo ship, you can get a, uh, a double materia growth uh, weapon for her, which is sweet. Right. So she's like a great party member to have at that point in the game. Um, but if you don't have her in your party, you find that item and it's like that gun that you find up in the tower of calm. It's a gun for a, it's a weapon for a party member that you don't have yet. And so you're sort of left wondering like, what have I messed up at this point to, to not be able to use this item? Like what is, what is good? What is that mysterious thing? It's an unknown unknown. That's interesting. Um, that's all almost as if that's a correlate for in life when opportunities present themselves, but you're incapable of, uh, maximizing or grasping them because you haven't developed the necessary tools to either see them or to um, actually explicitly um, embody them at that moment. It's like, you know, if like, say, like, like for instance, if, if you're in the financial sector and you're somebody into cryptocurrency and right now cryptocurrency seems to be by some estimates something that's making a lot of people money, but it gets reported on uh -huh. whenever it's losing people a lot of money. And like, that's something that... Sure you can only really be playing with if you have the tools in play already in order to squeeze those opportunities when they uh, arise. Like you know how to deal in stocks, you understand sort of how the market fluctuates. There's a skill set attached to being able to play that game, right? And so it's like life will present you with all of these opportunities if you have developed specific skill sets to deal with actual definite avenues of life like soccer and baseball if you develop these abilities to play and like you learn a couple dances and you say learn how to i don't know uh row a, in a canoe it's like you have access now to all these different specific skills with specific goals which then allow you to generalize and mm -hmm. and see the specific way that each one of these activities lends itself to you embodying the principle the the uh, archetype of the hero and that you are seeking to attain a specific goal or accomplish a specific task generally in a physical and sort of an often competitive or cooperative way. And in like doing this, you build your character, like, like your father says, you know, um, like whether it is right. rowing the canoe five miles or running a half marathon or like playing soccer your best, even though, you know, 
you didn't have that great a game. It's like sure. all of these things are, they just have the requisite amount of suffering and human competitiveness in order to refine, I think, that generalized attitude of desire to explore the unknown as much as possible, depending on how much your materia is mastered, and, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, then manifest it. Uh, in a Patronus-like yeah. definite way, right? Like, I think that's what a Patronus is in Harry Potter. A, the definite form of sort of your soul through a great work that inspires a body of thought um, or it, and, and thus enlightens those around you, enables them to use their own sort of thought um, and so also uh, sort of enlivens and enlightens a field of vision for a time. And mm -hmm. so your perspective provides light for other people to follow along a path it develops their capacity to light the path themselves. Sort of like how Dante talks about Virgil as a man who held the candle behind himself so that it lit the path for others without benefiting from it himself. Except for, in this case, you're following the path of someone before, then you're following your own path. And in thus doing, you provide the light that somebody else follows until they develop their own light or consciousness or ability to consciously embody the archetype of the hero. Yeah, yeah. You you mentioned before that that that's a way to sort of make sense of uh, of Red Thirteen mm. um, with the candle tail, and he's the one. I think he's the first one that you see uh, of your party stowed away on the on the ship um, when you get to the when you get to the ship and you do your final um, send off for President Rufus. You you see popping up in the background uh, the head of Red Thirteen. He's he's there. He's sort of like letting you know that you're you're about to be reunited with with the team um and and that they're all uh somehow have made their way up to and onto uh uh the cargo ship it is that's um, interesting that is like sort of a where the wild things are moment right when it's like don't worry you don't have to keep doing these monotonous tasks you're about to be back <laughs> in the fun world with the fun people right. and that's the whole point of the game here and it's sort of like an et homage too right like He's like so standing out to you as a player, and yet these people are going about their business like there's not like a big red lion creature stowaway <laughs> around there. <laughs> and uh, yeah. it that is interesting because that does make me think about where the wild things are, where like a kid's like sort of nighttime experience turns into the sort of fantasy and play experience that a child's world often is, and this is in fact what uh, Lukianoff and Height argue for in the Common Lane of the American a mind that uh, people need to let their kids play more without them, without coddling mm -hmm. them. And uh, that they seem to learn a lot through playing out these narratives. That seems to be the idea of it. That seems to be the idea of sort of earthbound and sort of that seems to be part of your idea with bookworm games. Mm -hmm. That it's like we do it together in society together. And the video games sort of help that. Yeah, go on. I heard you. Oh, yeah. that That's an interesting because that's a bit of a a conundrum for me at all at all times is to what extent to try to explain a thing and, and make sense of it right mm -hmm. uh and when does that become coddling and maybe cutting off certain avenues for the the person to actually discover it and 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 learn about it on their own um but i, I like that you know doing doing teaching in this way it's something that's out there but it's not um, onerous for people it's not required reading by any right. sense you know and that's something I always wrestled with teaching great books too right so it's like if I make these things 
the required book, then isn't that in itself like an additional obstacle to people enjoying it? Um, and that's something that I think is a, a kind of a, a problem that I had growing up. And I think a lot of people experience this like by its, by its being assigned, you, you automatically are not going to have as rich of an experience with that, with that text or with that, you know, whatever subject it might be. Um, and that's, that's a tricky thing um, sort of within the culture to, to try to address. But one way to do it at least is to, is to teach things that are voluntary, right? Yes. That are out there for people to discover and um, find out more about if they're interested and on their own time and in their own, at their own pace. Well, that, so, that seems to be part so, yeah. of what first made these video games precious to us and which is part of why I think they get so viciously criticized by like sort of the alumni of the original experience when they have remakes come out and they're like, the magic is gone. It's like, well, that's because the magic was in you because this is how you spent your limited free time as a young person. You know, you are like cloud, like being tyrannically told what to do. And there is an actual whistle, which is a bell, like a factory telling you where to go and to sit in line and you're learning the rules all day. And then you get like even this very limited and constrained playground where you can explore on your own. And at the time when you are actually um, imprinting as a young person, that's a very special time, a very special experience. And you bond with the game in a, in a very actual emotive and affective way because of that. Sort of like how you can bond with stuffed animals when you're very young. And any sort of object, right? Like, think about homes. They're full of objects that people would prefer did not get destroyed. And that they like <laughs> to look at because they generate some sort of warm or effectively, or like good, uh, uh, warm feeling, you know, good affect. Um, that's, yeah. that's materia, right? That, that's, the, that's the materia and the magic is kind of a, a literal way of saying, like, that's the experience that it conjures and, and that you sort of imaginatively evoke each time that you really put your attention into that thing again and, and talk about it or tell its story. Oh, that's incredible. Um, and that's how you fight the dragons of the day with your friends. You fight the anomalies and the threats together with them through conversation of uh, not only what's present and real, but by using the tools from the past in order to combat the present situation with, you know, perhaps small uh, differences. The battle itself will not be the same, but you can still apply, say, the same tool that worked at that time with perhaps differing effects. And that's like a, yeah, a conversation with friends where you're, you know, most of the things you're you're talking about are sort of inconsequential, and you're pretty sure you're going to get through it, right? Like with these minor characters. But some things you're not even prepared to deal with, like Heidegger. Yeah, and then no, yeah, like, go on voice this voice that's asking that's like doubting you um why don't you ask tifa about it right and you and you haven't done it yet you still haven't had that conversation so much stuff has happened um which which makes it impossible to get to that um that like very important identity uh um resolving conversation yeah right right and um well just because of time restrictions it's looking like i'm gonna have to uh, get off here and we're going to have to do the uh, sort of Dante ineffable or the Aristotle. Oh, well, we'll have to return to these topics on, a, on another day. And 
hopefully mm-hmm. our listeners at this time and uh, in the future, uh, fi- you know, have a tinge of sadness when we have to sign off like this. But also, hopefully, we produce so much work that they can immediately press next or uh, have autoplay play the next version and hear the the new crop of thoughts that we've dug up from the earth and see the new the new uh, you know garden we wish to plant today or the the new, to be more appropriate the new um, the new field we wish to explore in sort of a link like way with opponent. So I was thinking, Wes, I wonder if after this side quest, and I know we can go so many different directions and perhaps you're even thinking at a more octagonal angle as Mr. Daniel Babcock would say, but I was thinking, and it just kind of came to me that perhaps Ocarina of Time, Zelda and the Ocarina of Time would be a good next game. I mean, I know we're so far away from that too, but that seemed like, you know, that is one of the great and seminal games. I, yeah, that's one I definitely want to delve into sometime. And that, that could be the next one we could do, you know, uh, I know, I know there's definitely a lot of people um, that would want to be involved with that, I, I think, at least. So, yeah, that would be, that would be great. I know. Yeah, if I were just to quickly spitball, I know Xenogears and Chrono Trigger would also be pretty cool. But I don't know. That one, I mean, just to show that we don't have a Nintendo bias, you know, or a bias against Nintendo. We're going Sony here with our first one. <laughs> I know. It's... And it's it's a this is the moment when um, uh, SquareSoft, which developed the Final Fantasy games, they they put their game on Sony because it had the it had the, the capacity to um, like the memory, you know, because it was a CD system, whereas Nintendo made their cartridge system, mm-hmm. and it would have been like an exorbitant amount of of cartridges to get this game to actually work and so they didn't they didn't they were with nintendo uh, right so the super yeah. nintendo has Final fantasy games but then uh the developer joined up with sony in the next generation and that that's a i think that they've since patched that up but i'm not sure i, I don't keep up with stuff as much these days yeah so. the old space know. race the old space race the new yeah. version yeah i do remember that was a driving force like some games could only be played on certain systems that had certain, um, you know, hardware. And that was like a big draw for Xbox. It was even beyond the PlayStation 2 and thus could play games with even superior graphics. And then even your friends who played the game that was across platforms, they had kind of the bad graphics. I remember that from like the Nintendo powers when they would compare the Nintendo and the Sega shots. And I thought that was so cool seeing like how, how like, you know, Ryu stage in Street Fighter 2 was like, would have like a red sunset on the one version or, but be at night or have like a purple sunset on the other. And I was like, that's so cool. Those little changes, you know, it'd be so cool to go to somebody's house and see those small little differences. And maybe that is what's so cool about the developing a sophisticated and differentiated personality, right? That it's the small nuances, those small little pockets of color, um, of experience, of embodiment, of unique embodiments and articulation and representations that a person produces. It gives you the great pleasure of being in the, the the sort of presence of a creative or endeavor or something created by the logo something created by that which is the uniquely adapting function of a human that that gives you pleasure that's yeah that's that's like i think in a nutshell like the argument for for the humanities and by you know more directly for um studying video games you know like actually thinking about interpreting 
uh, this, this new medium. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Sounds as, good. As people start picking us up, I think they'll, you know, it's, they'll see more and more value. And I think that, I think to some extent, the value is in the highest expression that you attain. And at some point this will evolve in great practice for, you know, our even better work that we'll be able to do. But it, at this point, it's the limit of our being. And so I think it'll, it will stand and have its own value for being what it is. And for, for yes. us being what we are, because this gives, I think, meaning to our life and, and our search for meaning for our people and our culture. Right on. Yeah. Well, thanks for the time. And uh, that sounds, sounds like a good next side quest when, when we get to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> only while, one but... at a time. And I think that's, in, that's funny because you always used to get on me and still do about starting and not stopping books and starting and not stopping projects like my Iliad project, which I need to finish my sabbatical from um, and give definite uh-huh. form to just as you've done with your first project toward of pulling a, a tortoise to my hair um, and uh-huh. now making me understand the meaning of a hair brained scheme. One that doesn't sink through, <laughs> uh, you know, get getting to the goal. It's just thought up very quickly and then sort of given up. Um, and so hopefully I can be a little more tortoise like, as we move forward. Um. <laughs> you got to, I mean, you've got to sort of obey your own nature though, right? Like who knows what great dreams the hare was having while he was taking his nap. So that's a, that's a story for another that, time. I that guess. who was having, sorry, I, I killed a bug just as you said that. The hare. The hare. That's the a hair. good point, you know, and you do need time to reflect and dream. And um, it's interesting as you do more actions in the day, to what extent, those are the dreams of your other actions. Those are the reflections of your other actions. So your life becomes sort of a reflection of your thought. Maybe that's where we have to leave off because I got to go eat some Euro. Uh, okay. I'll see you later. Enjoy. Bye. Thanks again. Thank you.